Well, hey church, I'm so glad that you are able to join us for our message today. Whether you're watching live online or you're watching back at a later date, I'm really excited to be able to preach a message for you over these coming two weeks, simply titled Social Distanced. And I wonder if you've got a notepad to hand or a tablet or a phone, will you write those two words down next to each other? Social Distanced. And then as you do that, underline it, make it bold, circle it, and consider that 12 months ago, this phrase would have seemed so foreign. Actually, when we look at the definition of the word social and distance, you put them together and they are what we would call an oxymoron or a juxtaposition. They don't fit, they don't gel, they sit uncomfortably together. They are diametrically opposed. Yet when we think of the past 12 months, a COVID world, these words make total sense. And more than that, they have become a phrase we use in our everyday vocabulary and language. And actually, they're not just vocabulary and language, they are a new way of life for us. I wonder this week if you went into Tesco or Aldi or Asda or your shop of choice and you're pushing your trolley down an aisle, I imagine you were very conscious of the people around you. You were making sure those to your left and your right and those in front and behind you were maintaining a two metre social distance. Why? Because in a COVID world, we understand the importance of environment. And we understand that if someone is carrying something infectious like COVID-19, as soon as they get in our atmosphere and our environment, we can be infected by it. And by that, I want to tell us and start by saying that all of us are affected by our environments. This has been made so plain for us this 12 months in the physical as we have considered and looked day by day at the news and seen the roaring coronavirus rates. But actually, this is also really, really true and has always been really, really true emotionally and spiritually as well. In this social distance world, and thank goodness we are on a roadmap out of that, I want to ask us to consider that although this has been a really tough time for so many of us, when we've been unable to see parents and grandparents and friends and loved ones, it's actually been an unprecedented opportunity for us to take a step back and a step out of some relationship and maybe out of some things and give us some time to reflect and ask ourselves, Is this thing, is this relationship, is this thing that I have engaged in for so long without thinking about it good for us? You see, when I look at the Bible, one of my favourite memory verses as a child, and it's still one of my favourite verses today, informs this same statement to our spiritual life. Proverbs 13.20 says this, If you walk with the wise, you will become wise, but a companion of fools suffer harm. And on the same track as that, Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in step with the wicked, nor stand in the way that sinners take, nor sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it he meditates on it day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, who bears fruit in season and his leaf does not wither. Everything they do prospers. Now both of these verses, they give us this imagery of walking with people. And both of these verses tell us that our environment and those we do life with will have an effect on how we live. 
One of my favourite preachers a few years ago preached a message about friendships and he made this statement that I was a, a little bit uncertain and unsure of at the time but have since come to believe was absolutely accurate. He said, if you can show me your five best friends, I can predict with 99% certainty where you will be in five years. We need to understand that the relationships that we have in our life, friendships, partnerships, mentorships, they all have a direct influence on how we walk. So as we are on this roadmap out of coronavirus times, thank goodness, I do want us to ask and consider if there are some things that we are maybe unconsciously going to pick back up that we need to perhaps maintain a social distance from. And to illustrate and talk around this point, I would love us to go to Jonah chapter 1. I'll give you a moment to find it if you're using a physical Bible and not a tablet or a phone and you want to turn there. It's a little bit of a tricky one to find, tucked away in the minor prophet section of the Old Testament. And do use the contents page if you need to. There's no shame in that. You pay for that page as much as you did the scriptural pages as well. But as you're turning there, I am going to read from the whole of Jonah chapter one. Before you panic though, it is only 16 verses. And I promise you there are some diamonds in here that we can take out and employ for the benefit of us and our lives in 21st century Luton or wherever you are watching from. So Jonah chapter 1, it says this. My Bible, it's subheaded, Jonah flees from the Lord. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. And he said, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed for Tarshish. He went down to Joppa where he found a ship bound for that port. And after paying the fare, take note of that, he went aboard and sailed for Tarshish to flee from the Lord. You know straight away this story isn't going to end well, is it? Verse 4. Then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And all of the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. But Jonah had gone below deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep. We can only imagine he was very stressed at running away from God to be fast asleep in a massive storm. Verse 6, the captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? How on earth can you settle down and sleep? Get up and call on your God and maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. And then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. And of course, they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. And so they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us? What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? From what people are you? And Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. And this terrified them. And they asked, what on earth have you done? But they knew he was running away from the Lord because he had already told them so. The sea was getting rougher and rougher, so they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? Pick me up and throw me into the sea, Jonah replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. But instead, the men did their best to row back to land, but they could not, for the sea grew wilder than before. Verse 14, and then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. And then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. 
At this time, the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. Wow, a lot has happened there in one chapter. Straight away, we see Jonah is fleeing from the person he said made the sea that he was on, made the land that he was running from. He was running away in disobedience to God. The moral of the story, though, is although it was Jonah's disobedience and Jonah's issue, because he went aboard the ship, he nearly killed and affected the captain, all of his crew and the ship itself. And it's the captain in this story I want to focus on for the next two weeks. We often just talk about Jonah when we go to the book of Jonah. But actually, the central character for us in these messages are going to be the captain. And as we consider the captain and we try and get a look into what he was thinking and feeling over this coming session and next week's, I want you to put yourself in the shoes of the captain. And the first thing I want you to ask yourself is who is on your ship and are they shipworthy? I'll say that again. Who is on your ship and are they shipworthy? Now, straight away, the first thing you're going to say back to me is, well, actually, Mike, I don't have a ship. I'm not that wealthy. I don't have all that money. And, you know, when we think about ships, ultimately, we think of yachts, don't we? Beautiful yachts in the Algarve with sails and cabins and maybe little deck chairs on top. We don't all have ships like that. But I want to pose that we all do have ships. We all have friendships. See what I did there? We all have relationships. We maybe have partnerships in business. Maybe we're under mentorship. We all are in some form or another under discipleship, whether that's Christianity in the church. Discipleship literally means what we follow. Maybe you're a disciple of Netflix or you're a disciple of a book series or you're a disciple of a band. But all of us have ships. So as you look at your ships, as the captain of your ships, are the things and the people on it shipworthy? Because ultimately, you are the captain of your ships. Whether you realise it or not, you have complete control of your friendships, your relationships, who you're under mentorship and discipleship with. We have this great gift called free will. And although we are a product of our environment for the most part, we all grew up under parents and we all grew up in a certain country and culture. We get to an age where we can decide for ourselves who we allow to be on our ships and shipworthy in our lives. So what I want to do, as I said, I want to look at the captain in Jonah 1. And I'm going to take a little bit of preacher's liberty here, but I hope it will help frame a context for where we want to go and cause us to ask ourselves some really deep and maybe difficult questions. So let's go back 600 BC, taking preacher's liberty a little bit, as I said, and go into the mind of the captain. He is at the port of Joppa, which is probably modern-day Tel Aviv. I can imagine the sun is beating down on his face. He's probably dark-skinned, of course, being a, a captain of a ship. He was on uh, ships all the time, sun beating down in the Mediterranean. It is hot, it is sweaty. I can imagine it's a jovial port. There's hustling and bustling. People from all over the world were gathered in this one place called Joppa, which is modern-day Tel Aviv. 
And as the captain is loading up his cargo, most probably a merchant man, we see from the scripture, he's got cargo, and he's going to Tarshish. He's probably got some wares and some fares from uh, Israel's, putting them on, and he's going over to the other side of what the ancient mind would see, the other side of the world, Tarshish, which is probably modern-day Spain. And as he's doing his inventory and he's checking off his cargo and he's calling his shipmates to account, he's getting them all ready, making sure they're all set up and settled, he spots out the corner of his eye a shifty-looking Israelite. He's probably got his hood up. He's probably got his face down. He looks shifty. He's fidgety. And when I think of uh, modern-day Joppa now, I'm going to bring it into modern day. I think of the port of Joppa a bit like Grand Central Station in Birmingham. Now, if you didn't know, I'm from Birmingham. You can probably tell by my very attractive accent. I am a Brummie. But Grand Central, you have this place where there's just screens everywhere of all these different destinations, okay? You've got like Manchester and Glasgow and Cardiff and London Euston. I can imagine Jonah looking at these billboards of all the different places the ships are heading, merchant ships and passenger ships. And he's looking and he's looking and he's looking and he spots Tarshish. And immediately as the captain's watching him, he sees Jonah turn, catch his eye and run over to deck or platform number three, say that is going to Tarshish. Now the captain straightens up as he sees this man who's locked eyes with him and makes his way over. Straight away he can see that Jonah is an Israelite. And Jonah walks up to him, as I said, probably hood up, fidgeting, looking uncomfortable. And he asks the captain, are you going to Tarshish? The captain, intrigued, says, yes, I am. And Jonah says, I want to go with you. And straight away I can imagine the captain being a little bit taken aback. Well, I'm not, I'm not doing this per- pleasure. I'm not a pleasure cruise. I'm going to Tarshish. It's a difficult journey. It's a long way. It's where I'm purposed. I've got wares to sell. I don't really take passengers on board. Well, I need to go to Tarshish. I'll give you anything you want. Just let me come aboard. I can imagine warning bells beginning to ring in the captain's mind. You see, Israelites in Israel were fairly arrogant people especially to foreigners. What I mean by that is Israelites were in this land that literally God had brought them to. They call it the promised land. Israel had everything. It had Jerusalem. It had the temple, which had the manifest presence of God. It probably had all the shops you need, everything you ever ever need. Again, being from Birmingham, it was the same for me growing up. We had everything in Birmingham, every shop, takeaways open 24 hours, Grand Central, two football clubs, Cadbury World. Why would you ever leave Birmingham? Actually, when I moved to Northampton, one of my friends said, why on earth are you going to Northampton? There's nothing there. I had to explain to him, apart from my new wife, uh, there was lots in Northampton because the mentality of a Brummie is, well, why do you ever need to leave Birmingham? You have absolutely everything. So much so, in summer, they even bring their own beach into the city centre. And this was the same mentality that the ancient Israelites had. You don't ever need to leave Israel or Jerusalem. We have absolutely everything. We are in the promised land. God is manifestly here. He has appointed us. He has called us to take up residence in this place. So as the captain is talking to Jonah, all this is probably going on in his mind. Straight away, he would know there was something wrong with Jonah. Because 
because Israelites never wanted to leave Israel and especially go to Tarshish. As I said, to the ancient mind, Tarshish was literally the furthest place you could possibly go. The Jews saw Tarshish literally as the end of the earth. So, of course, we know, having a bit of context that the captain didn't, Jonah was called by God. What Jonah was doing was running as far as he possibly could in the opposite direction. So as these warning bells are beginning to flag up in the captain's mind, I believe he begins to question and prod Jonah. Of course, it's the captain's decision who comes on his ship. He owns it. He's in charge. He's the merchant man. Ends with him. And Jonah's begins to get shifty and the captain said, but why do you want to leave Israel? I'm intrigued. Surely as an Israelite, you have everything here. Why would you want to go to Tarshish? What's in Tarshish for you? Sees his looking shifty, hoods up, sweat on his brow, fidgeting with his hands. And I believe Jonah says something to the effect of this. Well, mate, listen, ask me no questions. I'll tell you no lies. Straight away, the captain is like, absolutely not. You've done something wrong. I don't want any part of it. And Jonah begins to panic. And I imagine Jonah puts his hand in his back pocket and pulls out a big, fat wad of cash. And he whacks it in the captain's palm. Well, listen, mate, listen. Ask me no questions. I'll tell you no lies. I won't get in your way. I won't be above deck. I'll stay in the bowels of the ship. You don't even need to give me a room or a bed. Just let me get on the ship. You can have all this cash and let that be that. While those warning bells quickly subsided for the captain, I imagine, he quelled them, he squashed them, and I imagine he had a big smile, if not on his face, in his mind. But what the captain didn't know, as soon as he accepted Jonah's fare, everything started to go downhill. You see, he was living for the benefit that was in front of him, and he was thinking of no ramifications for the future. There's a really important lesson for us here, church, because we have moments like this in our lives all the time. And I want to tell you this, don't miss this. If you've got a notepad, write it down. Really simple, but profoundly important. Living for the moment often requires moments of atonement. Let me say that one more time. Living for the moment often requires moments of atonement. By that I mean when you live just for the moment, the second, for the benefit right in front of you, it will often require you to backtrack a lot later on and regret the decision you made in the moment. You see, the captain thought that Jonah's cost was the fare that he put in his palm. What he didn't realise, the cost wasn't Jonah's fare, the 20, 30, 100, 200, 300 pounds he put in his fist. It was nearly his ship, his crew and his life. You see, in allowing Jonah on board in Jonah's disobedience, the captain put himself, his crew and his ship and his livelihood at massive, massive risk. And I want to ask you again, as the captain of your ships, who are you allowing on board? So let's begin by asking ourselves, well, how do we spot a Jonah? And I am talking predominantly about relationships, friendships, people we have in and around our lives, people who we allow in our environments. But I believe it goes far deeper than just relationships. See, Jonas can be thought patterns. They can be processes. They can be addictions. They can be secret things that we keep doing that maybe no one else knows about. But the way you spot a Jonah is if there is something in your life that is dictating the place where you walk in. Now, the captain, as I said, was a merchant man. He was destined to go to Joppa. That was his 
purpose. That was his calling, if we want to use a Christian word. He was purposed to do something really well, maybe for his family, definitely for his livelihood. He had a mission and a commission to go to Tarshish. And just like that, friends, we all have appointed positions by God to do certain things well. We all have a destination. We all have a calling. We all have a gifting to do certain things well by the Lord. And when we allow a Jonah in our ships, relationship Relationships, friendships, when we allow Jonah's in our life, it's then Jonah's start to take us off course and get us stuck out in sea away from our purpose. And what's really interesting for me is sometimes Jonah's aren't just on the periphery, they're not outside of us. Jonah was fast asleep on the ship below decks, he was deep in the belly of the ship. And maybe, as I said, it's not just a relationship, maybe it's a sinful pattern, a thought pattern an addiction in our life that no one else can see. It sits really deep within us, deep in the belly of our ships, but it is dictating the purposes that God has put on our lives. You see, when we live for the moment, oftentimes those moments lead us to sin. And I want to tell you this, sin often looks and feels good. And if you're going to take any part of this message and cut it up and post it, please don't post this slide without context, okay? Sin looks and feels good. There's something about sin that we absolutely love. Why? Well, it's obvious, isn't it? If sin wasn't good, if it didn't feel good, look good, taste good, didn't make us feel good, we wouldn't do it. You see, sin likes to entice us away from the purposes of God. The road to sin will always entice you in. And it's really, really important, church, we know that we have a spiritual enemy. As children of God, as followers of Jesus, as disciples of the way, we have a spiritual enemy who, like Jonah, wants to infect our ships and pull us away from the destination where God has appointed us, pull us out of the purposes and the things that God has commissioned us to do. And I believe that the the enemy, the spiritual enemy, evil spirits, demons, whatever you want to call it, their commission, well, John 10, 10, tells us is to kill, to steal and destroy. That is their purpose in life, is to pull us out of the promises of God. But actually, let's get real about this. We don't always need a spiritual enemy to mess up. By our very nature, we are sinful. By our very nature, we mess up ourselves. Oftentimes, I've blamed things on spiritual things, where actually it's just only my own stupidity and my my, my own flesh that leads me to do something silly. And the Apostle Paul, we're in good company, talks about this in Romans 7. Talking to the church in Rome, he says, guys, I, I keep trying to do what is good, but I end up doing what is not good. I know what is right, but I keep doing what is not right. And as much as I want to do what God is calling me to do well, I keep doing what I don't want to do. And he goes on this, um, the, the, these verses are talking about the struggle he has trying to live godly. It's part of our makeup that we have this flesh that wants to pull us out of the purposes and will of God. And when we live for the moment, when we are just looking at what is in front of us and getting a little taste of sin and getting a little feel of sin and entering into things, getting enticed by sin, uh, it looks attractive uh, on the surface. But actually, if you dig a little bit deeper and you go a little bit further down the, the line, it gets so destructive and hurtful, as we see evidenced with the captain and his ship. And of course, Jesus addresses this himself in, in Mark eight thirty six. He says this, those listening... He looks at them and says, well, what good is it for someone who will gain the whole world, who has all the things, all the pleasures of this life, everything that feels good, tastes good, looks good. You've got it all, but actually it's at the forfeit of their souls. 
You see, the captain in taking that money in the moment, the fare for Jonah's trip, he was nearly forfeiting his life, his livelihood. And as those warning bells were ringing, even as the cash was being pulled out, if he had only just taken a moment to stop and consider that this wasn't right and he was entering into something he knew wasn't right, it would have saved him so much trouble and hassle down the line. And as believers of Jesus, as disciples of the way, those warning bells are something I believe we always need to pay real attention to. You see, those instincts and those intuitions we have, if we have a millisecond when we're about to do something or enter into something of hesitancy, we need to pay attention. Because so often, a little bit of intuition, a little bit of a warning bell can be Holy Spirit wisdom. When we're about to engage in something, enter into something, when we're about to click an internet link or, or ring a phone number, we perhaps shouldn't ring. When we're about to enter into something and there's this uncertainty and hesitancy where we ask ourselves, well, should I be doing this? 99.9% of the time, you probably shouldn't. And I want to say that probably isn't just your instinct. I believe as believers of Jesus and followers of the way, that is Holy Spirit wisdom. You see, the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, was sent to earth by the Father, by the Son, to help us and to lead us into all godliness. Consider this verse in John 16, verse 13, talking about the Holy Spirit. But when he... The spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He will lead you. He will guide you into the purposes and promises that Jesus has over your life. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. Wow. I wonder if you think back to moments of your life where maybe something felt gratifying or good in, a, in an instant, but if you could do your time again, you would absolutely social distance yourself from that situation. Maybe if we'd paid attention to some of the warning bells, some of the guidance, some of the, the flags that came up in our life at that moment, we would have been able to see what was yet to come. When John here is talking about what is yet to come, I don't think he's just talking about heaven or you know, Revelation 21 and 22, new heavens, new earth. I think he's talking about those moments when we are in a moment of indecision. Should I? Shouldn't I? Should I walk through that door or should I walk through this door? Should I go to the, the left or should I go to the right? Should I do this? And the Holy Spirit is there saying, listen, I want to guide you into all truth. Let me tell you, if you do this, what is yet to come? So how do, we, how do we do this? How do we take stock in those moments when there's warning bells? How do we allow the Holy Spirit to guide us? Well, I think there's a few ways of doing it. Firstly, as a believer of Jesus, you can ask yourself, well, does this glorify Jesus in the moment? The thing I'm going to do, is there any stain that this could put on my integrity? Is this a good witness as a follower of Jesus? Secondly, does it line up? with the word of God. As I look at the wider narrative of scripture, is there anything I'm about to do or think or say that could be misconstrued or isn't glorifying or in line with what the scripture said? And number three, would my mum approve of this, especially if she's a Jesus follower? What, What would my closest relatives and family members say if I was to do this? Is it good? Is it bad? And also there's a little verse tucked away in 1 John as well. And the context of these verses are in prophecy, but I also believe it gives us a precedent for some of the things we're talking about and in testing whether we should engage or walk through this doorway or that doorway or or in the moment accept that bribe or that cash that Jonah is offering us. Look at this in 1 John 4 verse uh, 1 to 3. 
Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Of course, as I said, the context of this is prophecy, but the precedent is there. Test the motive of why you're doing something. Test the opportunity that is being offered to you. Is it glorifying Jesus? Is it glorifying your witness as a disciple of him? Or is it not? If it's not, it's fair to say you probably shouldn't be engaging in it. If it is, then absolutely take it on. You see, when you have a Jonah in front of you, you have an opportunity to say no. As I said, just like the captain and his ship, you are the captain of your ship. God is all powerful. He's all good. He's all merciful. He's in control of everything. But he has given you a massive gift that bears great responsibility. That gift is free will. We are absolutely all a product of our environments, but it comes a time in our lives where we can choose the people we allow in the environment. The product that we will become of it is up to us. So I want to tell you, church, don't just be a product of your environment, be the architect of it. You have an opportunity to say yes and to say no to the people and the things and the patterns, the thought processes and the things you engage with in your life. Friendships, relationships, partnerships, opportunities, you can say yes and you can say no. We are moving vastly and fastly out of a COVID work world. Thank goodness. We are moving past COVID. We are getting uh, the vaccinations. Things are looking good. Numbers are dropping. Hopefully come the summer, we will be able to stop having to social distance from everyone. But I want to ask you to consider as we close today, church, are there some things in your life that actually you may have had to push away for a season that need to stay pushed away? Are there some things you need to backtrack on and maybe take off your ship and leave at a port? Are there things in your ships or in your lives that are deterring you and pulling you away from the destination that the Father has set for you? Ask yourself, is there some things we need to social distance from? We're going to go into a time of worship in just a moment, but before we do that, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the opportunity of being able to gather still in this COVID world through the medium of technology. And Lord, I pray today that the words I've shared that I believe are from you hit the targets that they need to hit. I pray that anything that wasn't of you, God, we just allow to drop away. But anything that was Holy Spirit inspired today, Lord Jesus, allow us to pay attention and not only pay attention with good intention, but to put into action this week as we go into our weeks. I pray for every person watching, those from LCF, those from further afield, Lord, that you bless them, you keep them and you make your face shine upon them. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Let's worship.